You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, it's certainly good to be able to gather together today, and I'm thankful always and in the midst of winter when we can dodge some bullets, so to speak, that the great uh, ice storm turned out to be not so great. Praise the Lord. And uh, we can gather I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We had, uh, I guess, one little uh, disappointment, cancellation. We were supposed to kick off our upwards season yesterday, and, and uh, we, we did feel that uh, since a lot of the schools had closed, uh, canceled their activities uh, for the weekend, sporting activities, that we should as well, and... and uh, for, for safety. So we were a little disappointed in that, but I hope that you're praying about that. And many of you are involved in it, and, uh, but I hope that you'll at least take some time to pray about uh, the Upwards ministry. Um, pray for my team that we go all the way and win the championship. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Pray. pray uh, it's something special. You take those moments, you stop the basketball, and you huddle your team up, and you tell them about Jesus. And uh, those are the moments that matter and uh, the reason, uh, ultimate reason why we're doing it. And so let's, uh, I, hope, I hope that you'll pray about that ministry in our, uh, in our church, through our church, that uh, the Lord would use it in great ways. Well, uh, we're returning to Romans this morning, uh, and uh, we're returning to a, a passage, uh, Leon Morris uh, writes, quite possibly the most single uh, the most important single paragraph ever written. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, said that these are the greatest verses in the entire Bible on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's a privilege uh, that we get to turn and study it together. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Uh, it also makes sense to me that, uh, at least it to me, that we we ought to slow down a little bit as we study this passage together. I mean, if it is like the greatest passage on the gospel, uh, we should take our time and, and work through it. Uh, there are so many important words, uh, concepts, doctrines that are, that are taught here. Um, this passage contains several of them, the righteousness, faith, justified, redemption, propitiation. Uh, these are precious words to people of the cross. And uh, so we need to take some time to think about them and study them together, and uh, I'm looking forward to that time. So we begin today. We're going to uh, look at uh, verses 21 and 22, but I want to read the whole paragraph uh, for us. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Lord, please 
be with us now as we look to your word. Um, Open eyes, open our hearts, Lord, by the power of your spirit, illumine our minds to understand and apply it to our hearts. And so I pray uh, that you would use me today as well as uh, that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the great doctrine at the center of this passage is the doctrine of justification. Justification through faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone. It is a doctrine that answers this question, which uh, should be uh, most important in your mind. How can a sinner ever hope to stand before a just and righteous God? Or if we would put it a little plainer, how is a person saved? How uh, does a sinful person become right with a holy God? Uh, That's an important question. That question provoked the most serious controversy in the history of the church. And Martin Luther, uh, who was used by God, I think, to recover this doctrine from Romans 500 plus years ago in the Reformation, he insisted that justification by faith alone is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. That it's that critical, that important, that if the church doesn't get this right, the church ceases to be an authentic church. And that without a right understanding of this doctrine, even the whole Christian faith comes crumbling down. It's that key and that important. R.C. Sproul writes this, at stake in the controversy in which many paid with their very lives, uh, was this doctrine that is central to the New Testament gospel. However, In this day and age, there are few professing Christians who can even define the meaning of the term justification. And that's tragic. That's tragic. You notice the word in verse 24, justified, that Paul uses. Justified. To justify means to declare righteous. To declare righteous. Not to make someone righteous, but to declare them righteous. It is a legal term where a judge, after a a proceeding, would uh, declare a person innocent at the uh, the end of a, a trial. And so when Paul uses the term here theologically, he is saying that God, our judge, declares us righteous in Christ. He declares us not guilty. He declares us uh, innocent in that sense. It's an astonishing statement. Uh, Up to this point in the letter, Paul has been presenting his case for the condemnation of the entire human race. So just to recap a moment of what we covered in the the fall, beginning back in chapter 1, verse 18, when Paul wrote, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God being revealed, and he methodically lays out his case that all are in sin, all are facing the judgment of God. His argument reaches a climax here in chapter 3. Verse 10, he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's no one righteous before God. And the verdict is given in verse 19. 
And now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. He's speaking there of the judgment day. That when we stand before God, there will be no excuses, there will be no exceptions. Every mouth is going to be shut. No one's going to be able to object or make any kind of reasonable objection. Everyone will be speechless because of the irrefutable evidence, the testimony of our lives, the truth of our lives that God will bring against us. That The word accountable there means guilty. It means being liable before God, guilty before Him, under condemnation. And so here's the verdict of all humankind. We're all guilty. We're all facing judgment. We cannot save ourselves. And the only thing that is left is the condemnation of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness of men. That's what he says chapter, through chapter 3, verse 20. But then comes this incredible statement in our text beginning in verse 21. But now, The righteousness of God has been manifested. Verse 23, yes, you know this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but those in Christ, verse 24, God justifies by His grace. Those who were unrighteous, who trust in Jesus, God now declares them righteous. He declares them so. He he declares them not guilty. This is justification. This is the, the, the doctrine. It's a glorious truth, isn't it? Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Aren't you thankful for that phrase in verse 21, but now? Now, those aren't big, gigantic theological words, but, uh, but boy, they are powerful words, aren't they? Gospel Words, life-changing words. We were sinners facing the certain and just condemnation of God. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It was the the great preacher Lloyd-Jones who said, praise God for the but of the Bible. Amen? Because it, it, it signifies such a great Contrast. You may not know this morning the definition of justification or what redemption means or propitiation, but if you can understand and have experienced these words, but now you, you are on the right path because something has happened. We sang it together this past Wednesday night, the beloved hymn, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I, I see. It's describing the reality of the justification of God, that there's been a change in our lives, that something has happened, something has intervened in the midst of this sinful, hopeless, condemned, facing the condemnation of God. Something has brought this about. God has brought this about. Something has happened to us at salvation. Paul would later use that phrase again, Romans chapter 6, verse 22. He says, you were a slave to sin, but now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Romans chapter 7, verse 6, you were living in the flesh out of your sinful passions, he writes, verse 6, but now 
We're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Romans chapter 11, verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now you've received mercy. In his letter to the Ephesian Christians, Ephesians 2, 13, he talks in that context, you used to have no hope, he says, you were uh, without God in this world, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, in fact, Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. He says, you're in the light. Peter echoed this same truth, 1 Peter 2, 10, glorious words. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, in each and every one of these verses, there's a note of profound change. The, the, those who were dead spiritually, but now are alive. Those who were enslaved to sin are now free, the Bible says. Those who were living in sin are now turning from their sin, repenting of their sin. That those who used to live an old way of life have, have given way to a new way of life in Christ. Those who were in despair have now been turned to hope. And, and though you may not understand all of the things, the theological terms behind this, it is imperative that this is your testimony today. That there is a but now in your life. That you can say, this was true of me one time, but this person, uh, this person described here in Romans 1 through 3, but now Christ has come into me and he has saved me and I've become a new creation in him. Can you say that? Can you give testimony to that, that once you were blind, but now you see? That once you were lost, but now you've been found, having been declared righteous by God, justified by God, having received the gift of God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, that you are now saved by His grace. One of the ways I know uh, that you have is uh, that you want to learn more about the but now. That it is something in, in your heart you would like to learn more about justification and more about righteousness and redemption and propitiation because these things are having to do with the greatest thing that has ever happened to you in your life. And I want to learn more about them. I want to learn more about what God has done and my salvation in Christ. So what are the, some truths that we can learn from this passage about justification? What are some things that we should note? I know that your outline is blank. I do have points today. We had to print it early. So here's the first uh, thing we should note from the text. Justification is provided by God Justification is provided by God. How has this glorious salvation come to us? Verse 21 tells us, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. That's one of, if not the greatest themes of this passage, the righteousness of God. If you just scan down to the text, 
If you're doing some Bible study, you should circle it. It's mentioned four times, verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, verse 26. That tells you, hey, this is pretty important. This is kind of a big theme here in the text. Paul first spoke of this, I remind you, back in Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17, when he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Notice that the gospel is the power of salvation because in it, In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The reason you and I can be justified, the reason you and I can be declared righteous by God in salvation is because such righteousness is provided by God. Now, some of your translations, I think maybe the NIV, uh, for example, has the phrase, the righteousness from God, from God, and, and maybe some other translations as well, but, but, but of God as well. And I think in the Greek text, it, it, it can probably be translated either way, though I would lean toward of. To speak of the righteousness of God, of God, we are saying that God is the source of righteousness. He's the source of it. The righteousness, that is, righteousness is defined as all that God demands and approves and requires. And ultimately, it's, it's just that righteousness is disclosed, it's manifested, it's revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we would say Jesus is our righteousness. Amen? He is our righteousness. This is important as we're talking about salvation because we don't get to define what righteousness is. Now, we like to do that, don't we? Because we like to think a little highly, more highly of ourselves than we ought. But what God requires of us is not the same thing that we might require of ourselves or of others. Man tends to, to think more highly. He, he thinks, I'm a righteous man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good woman. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm much better than the, the neighbor who lives down the street, you know, it doesn't go to church and follow God, and I'm better than this person over here sitting across the room, and I'm, God, surely he's going to take me into heaven because I'm so right. You don't get to define righteousness. Now, this is exactly what Paul was doing before he was saved. In Philippians 3, he gives testimony where he was comparing himself with other people, and he had, in fact, concluded that he was so good that he was able to boast about it to others. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for for confidence in the flesh, I have more, he says. I've got more than you. But one day, on the Damascus Road, when Paul saw Jesus, he came to understand what true righteousness is. And he learned that all of his good deeds that he thought were righteous, were like filthy rags. In fact, like dung compared to the righteousness he saw in Christ. This is his testimony, Philippians 3, verse 6. He says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I was blameless. I was the most righteous person you could, you could uh, in my own eyes and by the world's standards even, I was a righteous person. Verse 7, Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, 
dung, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now listen very closely to what he says. It's super important. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, what what you and I need is not a man-made, man-defined righteousness uh, to be made right with God. What God requires is something completely different than any of your good works. He requires a different righteousness altogether, a righteousness that is beyond you, beyond any of your efforts or abilities or your good works. He's talking about a righteousness of God that you need and I need, that is revealed in Christ. And notice he says in Philippians, a righteousness that is from God, not just of God, but from God, a righteousness that can be given to us from God, a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, he says, that depends on faith. Both of those are true. Of God and from God. And it's a good thing they are because if God did not reveal his righteousness to us in Christ and then be able to give us this righteousness, we would have no hope for salvation today. No chance. We simply cannot be saved by our own righteousness. I hope that you know that today. The righteousness needed for our justification is provided by God himself. This is underscored again, secondly, justification is apart from the law. That's what he says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That that is simply to say that this righteousness of God does not come to us through the law. Through our obedience to the law, through our works, our justification, God, that is God declaring us righteous... It's not the result of any of our actions or our conformity to any kind of of law. That's what he's saying, apart from the law. And now Paul's speaking specifically about the Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law was given for a couple of reasons, and lots of more things could be said about this, but ultimately to restrain evil among God's people. And then secondly, to reveal man's sin and need for Christ. Uh, Those are important things. But but, but one thing the law cannot do is save us. It can't save us. And Paul wants us to understand this principle that God's righteousness is to be received apart from any human doing whatsoever. It's received not because of any human doing whatsoever. Now, when we're saved, we have the obligation and privilege of following Jesus Christ in obedience. And we're called to obey him, but we're not saved by doing these things. Look back at verse 20 for a moment, right before this. Of all the texts in the Bible, I think, that clearly state that you cannot work for your salvation, verse 20 may be the clearest one. He says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be, what's our word? Justified in his sight. That is, no human being will be declared righteous in God's 
sight by the works of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No human being is going to be justified. No human being is going to be saved because of his own works. It cannot save us. This is, this is why it is so foolish that a, to, to think this way, that, that a person's good works or their own righteousness is enough to save them. The, the Bible's crystal clear. It is so foolish to trust in your good works that someday your good works are somehow going to add up a little bit more than your bad works and that God's going to uh, balance this out and let you into heaven. It is a lie. It is absurd. It is foolish to think this way. You have no chance of getting to heaven because of your own righteousness. No chance. Only the righteousness of God given to you is able to save you. This is worth pausing and examining our hearts about this. Um, who or what are you trusting in to give you salvation? Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, another uh, preacher of old, exhorts us on this. He says, look into your own heart and see whether you are trusting even in a small fraction in something that you are doing for yourself. Or you are doing for God instead of finding in your heart that you have ceased from your works as God did from His and that you are resting on the work that was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Are you trusting in Christ alone? This is the secret reality, he writes, righteousness apart from the law, righteousness apart from human doing. Christianity is the faith that believes God's word about work that is fully done, completely done, righteousness without the law, righteousness apart from human character, righteousness without even a consideration of the nature of that which is being made righteous, righteousness that comes from God upon an ungodly man, righteousness that will save a thief on a cross. Righteousness that is prepared for you. Righteousness that you must choose by abandoning any hope of salvation from anything, including yourself. And putting all of your faith in Jesus Christ. Is that you? Does that describe your heart? We bring nothing to the table when it comes to our salvation other than our own sin. And which Christ takes. There's an old hymn that says, In my hands no price I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Our justification is apart from the law. It's apart from any human effort. Third, justification is witnessed by the Old Testament. It's witnessed by the Old Testament. Verse 21 again, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So, so basically, Paul is saying here, though the righteousness of God has been manifested in Christ, the Old Testament gives witness to this. This is not a, this is not a new righteousness. This is not a new way of salvation. This is not some kind of a new plan. This is, in fact, the, the old plan. It's the only plan of God. I would point you back uh, in, in, in the terms of Bible study, Romans chapter 1, verse 2. Speaking of God's gospel, he, Paul writes, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He says the same thing there. In other words, the gospel's not new. It's the same gospel 
that was promised numerous times before. People in the Old Testament were not justified or saved, uh, declared righteous in some other way, but through faith. We're going to talk more about this in chapter 4, but just a sneak peek. Turn the page over to chapter 4, verse 3. And look what it says there. This is describing Abraham who was in Genesis chapter 15. And notice what he says. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Was Abraham saved by works? That's not what it says. It says he was saved by faith. Abraham looked forward in faith to the coming Messiah And it was counted to him. He was justified. He was declared righteous by God because of his faith. Isaiah 53 is another uh, important Old Testament passage. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, 11, speaking of the Messiah, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one... My servant, speaking of Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. My servant, Jesus, he says, he will make many to be accounted righteousness. Who will make many to be accounted righteous? Christ. That's justification, isn't it? Salvation in the Old Testament. There's a whole other sermon series on this, but we'll move on. Paul just wants us to know this isn't a new way of salvation. This is the way it's always been. Fourth, and we'll be finished. Justification is received by faith. By faith. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And just in case you missed it, he says, for all who believe, believe. The only way to receive this righteousness, the only way to be justified in God's sight is by faith in Jesus Christ. And and Paul, just just scan the text again, because Paul will mention faith uh, some eight times in verses 21 through 31. Again, if you're doing Bible study, circle all of the repetition of those words. Eight times, 21 through through 31. You, you You can understand why the reformer, Martin Luther, when he was translating this verse into his native German, he he added the word alone to emphasize this. Justification is through faith alone, he says. Remember Paul's words, righteousness, Philippians 3, righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, we're going to talk more about faith in in the coming days, but for now, let's just acknowledge the plain teaching of God's Word here. Faith means that we place our trust in Christ and His righteousness alone for salvation. That's what it means. We do not trust in our own righteousness because we don't have any. Only through faith in Christ can we receive the gift of righteousness and be saved. So here's how this works. And it's such a beautiful thing. Sometimes we... Maybe we, we forget about this or we don't, we don't think about it. But when we come to Christ in faith and, and we, we trust in him, God transfers the guilt of all of your sins. 
He transfers that guilt over on Jesus, hanging on the cross for you. And then at the same time, he transfers all of Christ's righteousness. He transfers it onto you. He gives it to you as a gift. Upon our faith in Jesus, God takes the guilt of our sins, puts it on Jesus, and he takes the perfect righteousness of Christ, and he puts it on us, and he declares us righteous. Righteous. Justified. How is a person made right with God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. That message is so beautiful, isn't it? It's so beautiful, and yet at the same time, it's so difficult for people to accept. And so many, they struggle with this, the idea that we don't have to do anything to be saved. In fact, that we can do anything to be saved, that our salvation is not dependent upon us at all. It just grates against our human nature. It it grates against our pride because we desire to justify ourselves before God. And we can't. The Bible teaches that faith in Christ is the only way. I'll end with this quote from Steve Lawson. There are some people who try to straddle the fence. They want to have faith in Christ and their baptism. They they want to have faith in Christ uh, and their church membership. Or they are relying upon faith in Christ and also their good works to commend them before God. It's not until you burn all these other bridges behind you that you truly rely upon Jesus Christ to save you. You must turn away from all else and embrace Jesus Christ exclusively. You must put your full confidence in Christ. That is when you receive the gift of righteousness from God and my question is have you received that righteousness today is there a but now in your story in Christ the Bible says there can be 2 Corinthians 6 2 behold now is the favorable time behold now is the day of salvation. Will you turn to him today in faith? And if you already have today, and I trust many of you have, most of you have, I hope that this increases your assurance in Christ and your affection for him today, your love for him, the assurance that you have in Jesus that he has saved you, uh, and, and the glorious truth in, in that finality, and then also your affections for God, that, that He loved you to save you like this. The invitation today is for the lost to come to Christ and for the church to worship God for this glorious truth, the doctrine of our justification. Let's bow together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. It's so clear and so good. Help us, Lord, to understand it. For those who need to trust in Christ today, I pray that you would help them to 
humble themselves and recognize that their good works will not save them, but only faith in Jesus. And Lord, those of us who are putting our faith in you, may we be encouraged and strengthened by this knowledge today and celebrate the, the, this great, this but now that, that, that is a reality in our lives. And so may we live for you in response. Do your work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.